You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. The Friday edition is here. We're going to get you ready for championship weekend across the NFL. John McClain joins us in about 20 minutes from right now. We'll preview Chiefs, Bengals, 49ers, and Eagles. Our top 10 NFL quarterbacks. We'll list those for you. The definitive answer coming up in hour number two. And where do the Cowboys go from here? What's the future look like for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore? And we take a deep dive on the matchups this weekend in the NFL. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. There's a lot of list of top quarterbacks out there, but you're right <laughs> in that this is the definitive list. We've got it. We have uh, consulted many experts, really just two of them, Hutton and myself, and we've decided that this is the definitive list of top current quarterbacks in the NFL, and we'll reveal it a little bit later in the show. The wait is almost over for kickoff. All the buildup, all the hype. There's been a lot of talk about Kansas City, Cincinnati. I haven't heard much about Philadelphia, San Fran. It's incredible because the Mahomes ankle injury to me has just upped the level of talk about Cincinnati and Kansas City in this game because of the unknown of just how close to 100% Mahomes is going to be. I'm very interested in this game. I'm obviously interested in both of them. But Joe Burrow, slight tease here, if Joe Burrow is going to supplant Patrick Mahomes as the current best quarterback in the NFL, beating Mahomes and the Chiefs a fourth straight time and for a second straight AFC championship game in Arrowhead in Kansas City is a pretty darn good way of cementing his status as that guy in the NFL. He's got a great opportunity to do that. He went to Buffalo in the snow this past weekend and played the the perfect game for yeah. what the conditions were and what they needed. Getting rid of the ball quickly, not turning it over, and they beat Buffalo easily. That was so unexpected a year ago, what happened in Kansas City. When Cincinnati won that game and the second half they had in that game, this would not be as unexpected if they go to Kansas City this time and get the win. Yeah, but they're still being overlooked a bit, I feel like. Kansas City's back in front as the favorite in this game because of what we've seen from practice with Patrick Mahomes. That's the my impression on that. It's still a one point, basically a pick em at Arrowhead. Uh, and how, how could it not be? The last three matchups have been decided by three points going the Bengals' way. Meanwhile, I do feel like the majority of the betting public is on Philly and not on Brock Purdy and San Francisco. I think that's a mistake. I think this Niners defense is ready with the chip on its shoulder to prove that they can hold down one of the NFL's top offenses. And Brock Purdy, it would be a mistake to doubt him with what he's been able to accomplish so far. So I I don't think that, while Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback in this matchup, I don't look at the 49ers as it's some huge quarterback discrepancy in this game. In in a crazy way, even going back to that Niners-Chiefs Super Bowl, I felt like there was a bigger gap between Patrick Mahomes, much bigger gap between Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo in that game than there is between Hurts and Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy was the third-string quarterback 
for this team to start the season. He's actually behind Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think Purdy gives the Niners more chances to do some things than what Jimmy Garoppolo was offering. In a, in a weird way, he's a better option as a third-string quarterback. Don't really know with what Trey Lance was going to do because he hasn't been healthy enough to really play in the NFL so far. But I like this Niners team. I love the Niners defense. I do think that Philly wins on Sunday, but it's going to be a great game. And if you like hard hits, good defensive football, uh, the great offense of Philly against the great defense of the 49ers. And the atmosphere. I think you're going to be in for a treat. The atmosphere will be off the charts yeah. good at the link also. Uh, maybe they'll throw some batteries at, at players, uh, you know, other fans. If you dare wear 49ers gear into the stadium in Philly <laughs> on Sunday, maybe that happens. They booed Santa Claus before. Who are they going to boo in this game? Certainly the 49ers. I'm looking forward to both of these. Chad, I've, I've told you, Baltimore and Philadelphia, my two favorite venues to visit whenever I was on the sidelines for Titans Radio because those fans do their homework. They're not only throwing things, they knew my name. Which at the time, like, there's no way they should be looking that up. And I guess they do that for every sideline reporter for the opposing radio network. And they were letting me have it to the point where we had uh, Titans players coming up laughing at me. Delaney and others. I, I love it that, you know, it's probably a group of friends that have <laughs> front awesome. row tickets. And or, both, or both down, fan bases do it. Well, down low, and they probably get together and they do their research on the opposing team's <laughs> radio sideline reporter. So they can go all in on that person. It's just a big ongoing joke with them yeah. to trash the the sideline reporter, which I do think is funny. I remember being in Baltimore when the Titans played there in the divisional round and won on a Saturday night. Yeah. And being in the press box and being in the front row of the press box, and it, it was it was closed off, but you could hear when people were yelling below the press box. It wasn't open air. But I remember every time the Ravens would do something good, the people right below the press box would turn and taunt the media. Yeah. On the but it was weird. I'm like these this could be the Ravens media. But every time it's like, yeah, told you. Told you. Like they're just, you know, yelling back at you like told you media members this was going to well, happen. It's it was a weird response to not celebrate with each other and instead turn and just scream at the press box and the media behind them after every great Ravens play. Well, and very, that's very unique. That's a very unique stadium where you can literally turn where we always kept the booth open, the fans can turn around and literally grab something off the desk of the radio booth. Same way with yeah, the, and the press box was. Yeah, I was looking Same over level. the top of someone's head. Yeah, that was you know even with the press box in front of us. Chad, um, in terms of likability in coaching, where is Gino Ariema in the likability meter? I mean, if we're going like ground up. Like yeah, ability, what's his Q rating? Uh, Gino Arima has to be subterranean at that point. I mean, below the ground. Listen, I, I, I'm probably very biased here. I'll, I'll acknowledge my bias. I went to Tennessee. I'm a lover of all things Pat Summit, and I respect everything with Pat Summit. So Pat Summit not liking Gino Arima has a big part in this. Pat Summit loved Bobby Knight. Pat Summit loved a lot of coaches that didn't necessarily have the best uh, Q score. And not right. everyone in the media likes. So it's not like she had these grudges with everyone. She had a bad grudge with Gino Ariema, and she's not the only one, and didn't like him and didn't like a lot of things he said and a lot of things he did. So that's a score against Gino for me because I'm a Pat Summit person. Um, it may also be the fact that he is a man that's just dominating a woman's sport, and I'll be completely honest with myself, I, I just I, I don't love it. 
when compared to the great women coaches, yeah. female coaches in women's sports. That's part of it with me. But when you watch Gino Ariema in that halftime interview with Holly Rowe last night at, at Tennessee, I'm watching that live when it happens. And I'm thinking, is there anyone less likable than this guy with that reaction at halftime? Well, here is uh, the halftime interview with Holly Rowe from Gino. In the locker room. How do I address it? How do I address it? You don't address it. This is what you get when you come down here. The game was called one way and then changed. Nope, nothing else changed. We didn't change. Nothing else changed. Thank you, Coach. Well, Gino Oriema is obviously fired up about the officiating in that Yeah, so, I mean, what was the second half like for him? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start. I actually watched this game, which I, I really regret watching women's basketball. And I'll, I'll discuss that take here in a little bit as well. Um, but I watched the entire game. I mean, it was miserably officiated throughout. Uh, every, every bit of contact was a charge. They just It didn't matter. It was going to be called a charge no matter what. If someone hit the deck, they weren't looking to see if they were moving or not. It was an automatic charge. I didn't see a huge difference in the way the second quarter was called versus the first quarter in the game. Remember, they play four quarters yeah. and not two halves in, in college, women's college basketball. Um, Tennessee got to the free throw line a lot more. I know he's mad about that in the second quarter. It was a 16-point lead at the end of one quarter. It was a four-point lead at halftime for UConn, so he was upset about that. Um, I, Rebecca Lobo, who obviously is a UConn, former UConn player and Geno player, she was on the call last night for ESPN. She said to open the second half, she said, first off, I've never seen Coach Ariema behave that way towards the officials in a public interview in game. I've never seen that level of fired up about the officials. Hmm. She said the call that was the third foul that was a charge call on one of the UConn players, she said that was a bad call. But she said the reason that it's not because the officiating changed. The reason the game changed is because UConn stopped hitting shots and started turning the ball over. So she did say it's not because the officials. It's because your team did these two things uh, in, the, in the second quarter. Look, I just watched that and I think, come on, man. It's taken this long to get UConn down to Knoxville to play a game. And this is a rivalry that not a lot of people care about women's college basketball, but a lot of people care about they recognize it. Tennessee and UConn because those are the recognizable brands and the recognizable rivalry in the sport. So for you to take a shot at that's what happens when you come down here. The game is fixed. The fix is in. That's what he's saying at halftime. Give me a break. Yeah, he wants, he wants to be at home. team won by 17 points also. They ended up winning easily in the game. And on women's basketball, it is a miserable product to watch. I try and I try to stick with it and watch it. But there's something, the level of physicality and athleticism, which is much improved in women's athletics across the board. I'm not knocking that part of it. But when you mix that level of athleticism and physicality, with women's basketball, it becomes this messy muck of a game where it's just a lot of turnovers, jump balls, and, uh, the ball getting dribbled off someone's foot and then time and time again. There's no with flow to it at all. Officiating, too. That's also... Officiating is bad. It's just... I would rather watch a high school girls basketball game. This is not an anti-women's sports stance. Right. I liked women's basketball 20 years ago more than I like it now. I'd rather watch a high school girls or middle school girls basketball game because it's, it's a little bit more pure in terms of fundamentals 
when you watch it played at a high level than it is the college level. It's almost as if, uh, and I've, I've said this before, but women's basketball players are trying to emulate NBA players that they watch or men's college players. And when you combine that with the difference in athleticism between the two, it leads to a very ugly sport to watch. There was one example last night, Hutton. A ball was dribbled off of someone's foot, and two, two of the, uh, the women dive for the ball, and it just kind of squirts out of the pile. And this thing rolls <laughs> for, I, I'm guessing, 20 feet straight to the sideline, and not one player reaches the ball. I'm thinking this is in a half-court set. It's not in some no-man's land. It just rolls and rolls and rolls. And I'm thinking, is no one on the court quick enough Capable to go pick go, up that to ball? To get it before it goes out of bounds? There's like two people just trudging after it, two of the, the bigger girls in the team, can't even get to the ball, and it just slowly <laughs> rolls out of bounds. And I'm thinking, if I'm watching a men's basketball game, that ball is picked up and dunked on the other end in a heartbeat, yeah, or an offensive player in is going to go get it before it goes out of bounds. It was the longest, slowest roll of a basketball I've ever seen go that far on a court and reach its destination of out of bounds without a single player being quick enough to go get it. It, it was a terrible game to watch. Atmosphere was good. I'm glad these two teams are playing. Credit to UConn. Gino once again, has a much better team than what Kelly Harper has at, at, in Knoxville. Terrible game to watch. Um, Chad is certainly not anti-women's sports. Later this hour, we'll get into. His, I coach my daughter's basketball and softball team. His, I'm not anti-women's or girls' sports. And you also shot just terrible equipment, to watch. And we will get into yeah. the details of how much he spent. A very different segment than what equipment. you just heard from me coming up yes. when we talk about uh, spending a, a loot to go buy softball equipment for my daughter's season. Back to a sport that uh, we love to watch: the NFL. And we preview the AFC and NFC Championship games. John McClain is next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton and Withrow with you for Outkick 360. Previewing the championship matchups this Sunday in the NFL with John McClain. Gallerysports.com is where you can read his great work. You can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, good afternoon. Hope all things are well in Houston. Everything's great, guys. Thank you very much for letting me move to Friday. Yeah, uh, no, no problem of, of, of what you've been doing recently, and uh, you're always welcome on any day, John. You know that. Can't wait for Sunday. And let's just start with the order of the kickoffs with San Francisco going on the road at Philadelphia. What is Brock Purdy in for, and what can Jalen Hurts prove to all football fans that are going to be tuned into this game? Well, if Jason, Jalen Hurts has to prove any. The football fans are nincompoops who don't know anything about football. Guys played great all year. If he hadn't missed those two games near the end of the season, he would have been the MVP, I believe. I would have voted for him. And uh, I can't imagine, based on the Eagles being the best team in the NFL all season, 
anybody would have any doubts about the guy. And I think the offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen's done a tremendous job. You know, their defense, which had 70 sacks during regular season and five more than the victory over the Giants, they're going up against Brock Purdy. And I think this is the first time Brock Purdy will be exposed. I think they will contain 49ers running game, force Purdy to pass, and then they'll really get after him. So, I look for the Eagles to win this game. I picked it by four. Where is the storyline for you, John, on Purdy if the Niners pull this upset on the road and advance to the Super Bowl? I believe he'll be competing with Trey Lance for the starting job next year. People may find that hard to believe, but Trey Lance is a lot more gifted physically than Purdy is. Uh, Kyle Shanahan and the unsung hero, first-year quarterback coach Brian Greasy, have done a tremendous job of maximizing Purdy's strengths and minimizing his weaknesses. And you know Shanahan loves Trey Lance. He traded three ones, got one back in a swap, so really he traded two. He's not giving up on a kid who missed the season because of an injury. So that would be some great quarterback competition and a good problem to have. What do you think about the coaching matchup with these two young head coaches and Kyle Shanahan and Nick Sirianni in the NFC Championship? Well, Shanahan calls the plays. Sirianni doesn't. Sirianni turned that over to Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator. He's done a tremendous job. Steichen, Gannon, and D'Amico Ryans are all candidates for the Texans' head coaching job, and they hope to bring all in for second interviews next week. The team that wins, they cannot have anybody get hired, but you can interview and, and agree to a deal. And so Ryans has the best Defense in the NFL, fewest points, fewest yards, biggest turnover differential. And uh, they've been tremendous all year. But I think they can do whatever they want to try to limit the Eagles' passing game. And then on those run-pass options, I think Jalen Hurts will be tremendous. And it's going to be a great game. It should be. And I think Purdy going into the link with all those drunk, crazy Eagles fans, it's going to be like something he has yet to face. John McClain with us on OutKick 360. We now head to Kansas City with you. Kansas City hosting Cincinnati. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, the storylines write themselves. Uh, and the NFL always gets it right. Going back to Purdy, an amazing storyline there as well against Jalen Hurts in a prove-it year. Um, Burrow doesn't have to prove where he is in the AFC pecking order. Neither does Patrick Mahomes. But the fact of the ankle injury and the, just knowing that even when healthy, the Bengals have won this game by three each of the last three matchups, what's your biggest takeaway as to what Kansas City can or can't do given the status of Mahomes at QB? Well, Bengals have got to have a lot of confidence because they won a championship game last year at Arrowhead Stadium with a healthy Mahomes. And when you have a high ankle sprain, you know, he might be able to push off a little bit. It's his plant foot, but he's not going to be able to run around and make plays the way he usually does off schedule because he has to plant and make quick cuts to avoid pass rushers. I just don't see how he can do that. And um, I think we have two, the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. Burrow has been tremendous. A lot of people are saying if he wins this game, he'll move ahead of Patrick Mahomes. No, I don't think so. Mahomes has been in the league longer. 
He's been an MVP. He's been a Super Bowl champion. So I think if you let everybody make their pick, most would still take Mahomes, but Burroughs would be a close second. And I don't like where Cincinnati people talking about Burrowhead Stadium. You don't need any trash talk going up to a game like this. It's going to be so competitive and spirited as it is. You don't want to give the other team ammunition. John, it feels like Zach Taylor's sort of the forgotten coach of the four that are remaining right now when we talk about some of the great coaches across the NFL. Is it because he's a little bit more reserved than than some of the other guys? Why do you think that is when you look at Cincinnati and what he's built and what he's accomplished, especially his last two seasons? Well, I'm still amazed because, you know, he got hired because he knew Sean McVay. He goes in there and he wasn't any good at first. And last year, all of a sudden, they put it all together in Burroughs' second year. That first year, you know, he missed – a lot of the years with a torn ACL. And so they became great. He's got two really good coordinators. Now they're not getting interviews, which is amazing to me that uh, Bryce Callahan on offense, Lou Ariama on defense are not getting interviews like you would think, like say the Eagles, Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon or D'Amico Ryans with the 49ers. And if they don't get a job, that's good for Zach Taylor because he'll have them back again, but that offense has been tremendous, and the defense is so underrated. We talk about the Eagles all the time, but the Bengals' defense, they get after it. They get after the quarterback. They've been good against the run, and it helps that that defense doesn't spend too much time on the field because the offense is very balanced. They can run the ball, and uh, they they don't have a lot of quick strike touchdowns. They don't mind using that balance to score and eat up the clock. And uh, I think if you look at it, the assistant coaches on both teams are tremendous. And absolutely, I'm with you, especially with the defensive coordinators and the matchups. And for whatever reason, Cincinnati has done a good job against Kelsey. And, and overall, they've done a good job in corralling Mahomes. Meanwhile, Buffalo really struggled to stop Cincinnati's run game last week. And in the last matchup, and the, one of the common denominators is Joe Mixon in the run game with Kansas City. Also, Samaji Piran, who had a great matchup against KC in Week 10. If Cincinnati runs it the way they ran it last week, are they going to the Super Bowl? Well, it's interesting because after that game, they didn't run it that way the rest of the season until this last week. They ran for over 170 yards. Maybe injuries up front had something to do that, but it amazes me that the Bengals are missing three starters in the offensive line, and they got a right guard, Max Sharping, the Texans didn't want, and they they have such balance. And I think if they run it like that, they're going to the Super Bowl. I think anyway they're going to the Super Bowl because I'm picking them to win. And uh, that balance, as you guys know, does so much for a defense as opposed to a defense having to spend a lot of time on the field. I think both, and I don't think the Chiefs' defense is anything special. They got a good pass rush led by Chris Jones, but it just doesn't stand out like the Bengals have or the 49ers or the Eagles. So you're taking Cincy and Philly? I'm taking Philadelphia by four and Cincinnati. I want to say three, but what are the odds they're going to win four in a row by three points? So I'll say by two. All right. John McClain going with the Bengals and Eagles in Super Bowl 57 coming up um, in, what, three weeks? Um, or two weeks, excuse me. John McClain with us, gallerysports.com. 
John, um, Frank Reich, now the new head coach in Carolina, the first head coach announcement off the board. What did you think of the hire over Steve Wilkes and the fact that Reich's right back in it uh, in the same year, same season that he was fired? Well, first of all, Steve Wilkes was 500, which was, he did a good job. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to his one season of the Cardinals, he did a terrible job and got fired. So a lot of people think, well, my goodness, why didn't they – Hire him. If you look at his track record compared to Frank Reich's track record, there's no comparison. And uh, I often wonder how Reich would have done if Andrew Luck had not retired. And we'll never know, of course, the way they went through quarterbacks. Now I'm guessing they're going to try to get one in the first round, maybe trade up. Maybe they try to keep Sam Darnold for a year and wait till next season. But uh, they don't need a lot. You know, they're, they've drafted very good players on defense. They ran the ball well last year with Deontay Foreman. It's amazing the way he bounces around like a pinball in the NFL. Been with the Texans, the Titans, and last year he played really well. But I don't know if he's going to be their answer at running back. But I'm happy for Wright. Great guy. Thought he deserved a second chance. And I think Steve Wilkes is going to have to be a defensive coordinator again. So – What's the latest with the Texans search? Is this simply down to it's D'Amico Ryan's job and he's deciding between the Broncos and the Texans and there's some waffling back and forth? Well, where is that search right now, John? No, they've got D'Amico Ryan's, Mike Kafka, Shane Steichen, and Jonathan Gannon as their four guys. Now, they don't say that because they just brought in for a second interview Kafka and uh, Vero Jero. Uh, uh, Jiro Avero, the Broncos defensive coordinator last season, who'd been with the Rams. And uh, I wrote a column today about if the Walmart people, the new owners of the Broncos, want D'Amico Ryan's, Texans can't get in a bidding war because Rob Walton has worth $60 billion, which makes him worth a whole lot more than all the other owners. And so D'Amico's been a coordinator for two years. I can't believe he would get something like $10 million a year. Texans fans want him, media wants him, but I wouldn't have a problem with Kafka, Steichen, or Gannon because all those guys did a tremendous job. And in Denver, the, a report from Mark Maskey yesterday that Sean Payton and one of the members of the ownership group for the Broncos don't see eye to eye on the power dynamic and the structure, I guess, that Payton's asking for. In this interview process, uh, the report also included he he would like to coach Russell Wilson. He likes the way uh, the defense is set up. Obviously, your take on Sean Payton and whether or not he's actually going to take the Denver opportunity because that seems to be the one and only uh, franchise that's going to dish out the type of money and and of course with the picks and trades that it's going to take with New Orleans. That ship has sailed. Okay, uh, it's funny when. Uh, Peyton interviews, things start to leak to national media that are negative. I know after the Texans interviewed him on Zoom, his good friend Colin Coward, where he makes appearances, started talking about they should, why would they interview him on Zoom? Well, they interview everybody initially on Zoom, then bring him in. And there were a couple other things that he said that clearly came from Sean Peyton. And now this. Now, Peyton's denied it, but uh, Mike Cliss from Nine News up there, who's been covering that team longer than anybody, wrote yesterday that uh, the top candidates to Miko Ryans. That's why I wrote the column that I did. And uh, the people thought about Dan Quinn. It's always funny. Teams tell a coach we're going in a different direction, and he immediately announces, well, I've decided to come back to my team. 
So all the Cowboy fans, oh, man, we're so excited Dan Quinn chose to pull out, pull his name out of the running for a head coaching job. Yeah, right. And just to come back and work for Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy. And so I'm guessing it's going to be Ryan's. Maybe they'll double back to Peyton, but I don't see it. And uh, the, the problems with Greg Penner, their CEO, Rob Walton's son-in-law, Greg Penner and, and Rob Walton's daughter handle the day-to-day activities. And Penner announced something at the end of the season I totally disagree with, that the head coach and the general manager will answer to him. The head coach won't have total power, neither will the GM. And that's just cruising for a bruising. You know, either the head coach has final say, like Peyton had in New Orleans, or he answers to GM George Payton, who was not hired by the Walton Penner Group. So that's that's a very interesting dynamic there. You know, they have great fan base, great tradition. They don't have the picks that uh, the Texans do. And D'Amico Ryans, he's building a house here. He got married here when he played for the Eagles in the pandemic. He and his wife started a, a home for wayward children here. So that's just more reasons that fans and media here wanting to get the job. John, can you convince me that Jim Ursay and the Colts are not going to hire Jeff Saturday now that he's involved <laughs> in the second round of interviews? This feels to me like Jim Ursay is telling everyone in the world that he is smarter than they are and he's going to stick with Saturday. Am I wrong? Well, you got a problem with a coach that went one and one and seven <laughs> on an interim basis with seven consecutive losses and lost to the Texans in the last game of the season. You got a problem with that? I mean, think about this, hey. John. If Steve Wilkes, if he's got a problem right now and the group he's involved with about the race issue in the NFL, his job as an interim coach. <laughs> now, you made the right argument about Frank Reich's overall record versus his as a head coach, but think about his job as an interim coach. Versus Jeff Saturday's job as interim coach, if in fact Jeff Saturday's the one that's hired. Here's what interests me about that: Chris Ballard, the GM, who's very respected, he, they he got out. He wasn't in favor of hiring Jeff Saturday, and he certainly isn't um, not in favor of rehiring him. In their initial interviews, Jim Ursay was not available. It was Chris Ballard and Ursay's daughter, who is very involved with the team. And this year, under new rules. You can have your HR person in there. You've got to have diversity in the room for the interviews. And so uh, then you have to file a report with the league afterward. So they made a bunch of changes this year. And Ballard is the one interviewing Saturday. Well, if he hires Jeff Saturday, he hired Frank Reich, you know that Jim Mercedes told him to do it. And so I'm going to say that they're smarter than that, that they're not hiring Jeff Saturday, no matter how much the media thinks the longer it goes, the better chance he's got. And I hope I'm right and you're wrong, Chad Lack. John, um, Mike LaFleur fired as the offensive coordinator in New York. He's now headed to Los Angeles with the Rams. Meanwhile, Nathaniel Hackett couldn't, could not do anything well. It didn't seem in Denver, but he's hired as the new OC to replace LaFleur in New York, and it's a very similar style offense. What does that mean? Are you do you automatically think, yep, yeah, it's it's Aaron Rodgers? They're they're gearing up to try to make that trade for an organization from the ownership to now the head coach today, Robert Sala, saying, yeah, we're bringing in a veteran quarterback. That's our plan. The um, uh, 
Broncos thought that when they hired Nathaniel Hackett, he'd never called plays. He showed he was incompetent as a play caller and head coach, overmatched. So Robert Sala, who hired his friend Mike LaFleur from the 49ers, then he hired his friend Nathaniel Hackett, who was his buddy in Jacksonville. They're probably, uh, I mean, yeah, um, my goodness, I just forgot his name. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, sorry. Nathaniel Hackett's hired for the same reason the Broncos did. They think they're going to get Aaron Rodgers. Well, Rodgers is due to make almost $54 million next season. Are the Jets going to be able to take that on? Um, the, they talk about they'd be happy to give up two number one picks. I don't know about that. If Derek Carr's cut, he's a free agent, I'd be interested in him. I'd be interested in Jimmy Garoppolo because – Aaron Rodgers is going to be 39, and uh, he costs a lot of money. It would cost a lot of draft capital. He should want to go there considering their running game when Brace Hall is healthy and their defense, which is one of the best young defenses in the NFL. I still believe when all said and done, Aaron Rodgers will still be in Green Bay. I've said that the last two years, and he has been. That was about money. And now that he's got his money, maybe like uh, so many other great quarterbacks, finish their career with other teams, it's amazing. If he plays his whole career in Green Bay, that is going to be very rare. John, let's go just under the assumption that both guys, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, will play next year. Your opinion, what landing spot makes the most sense for both of them? I'm assuming you're going with Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay. Well, now Tom Brady is a free agent. What makes the most sense for both sides? Brady and the team where he may end up. One thing that had been floated out there was uh, that uh, Brady and Peyton could go to Carolina like they wanted to go to Miami last year, which uh, cost the Dolphins their number one pick this year in a penalty that uh, Roger Goodell handed down for tampering. And so Josh McDaniels makes the so, so much sense with the Raiders, he coached him all those years. They've got a good tight end in Darren Waller, who was hurt a lot last year. Great receiver, Devontae Adams. A good receiver in Hunter Renfro, who also was injured a lot of last year. An improved offensive line. And if they can re-sign Josh Jacobs like they claim they're going to, then they got the NFL's leading rusher. That is a very attractive package. And if indeed Rodgers does go, I'll say it's to the Jets, because he wants to go to a team that has a chance to go to the playoff. I don't know if he if he feuds from time to time with the Packers media that covers him, what's going to happen in New York. You know, he's got so he's he sounds so so much like a cook half the time. And uh he's he may figure out the grass is not always greener. You know, he's a god in Green Bay, even though he's won only one Super Bowl in 2010. I think he should finish his career right there, right after they got all these young receivers who finally developed over the second half of the year like he wanted. So I think he just likes the attention. John, speaking of just veteran quarterbacks, what are the odds that the Texans bring someone in, or are they just going and rolling with the rookie at number two overall? So card, that all of that doesn't make any sense. He's holding up the anybody, zero. Anybody that... I'm holding up, yes. I'm sorry for talk shows out there. I'm holding up zero. Um, number one, why would Derek Carr or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo want to come here? They're still rebuilding. 
They got the second overall pick. If they say, if Nick Casario, the GM, signed a veteran, people go over there and burn down NRG Stadium. <laughs> they want quarterback. They want Bryce Young. If not Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, they're guaranteed of getting one. I make I throw this out there quite a bit on my talk shows here. But what if Nick Casario decided he liked Will Levis better? And people are like, oh, my God. And uh, so I think it'll be Young or Stroud. They'll keep Davis Mills as their backup. Davis Mills had a mediocre season because Pat Hamilton, the new coordinator, did a terrible job and then got fired. If Levy Smith had had a better offensive coordinator, he'd still be the head coach. And uh, we're all curious here if D'Amico Ryans is hired, who he'll hire as his offensive coordinator. I wrote in a column, and I've talked about on my talk show and tweeted, he should call Gary Kubiak and say, Kubes, what about coming to us like you did in Minnesota when Kevin Stefanski, you oversaw the offense, Stefanski was coordinator and the play caller, and you were up in the booth helping him if he needed and he got a head coaching job. Come down here and oversee our new offensive coordinator, who could be LaFleur. I mean, he was there with D'Amico and Kyle Shanahan, so maybe he'd be a candidate or one of the Kubiak uh, Clint, who's an who's a quarterback coach uh, and and passing game coordinator, I think, with Denver last season after going there from Minnesota. John McClain, you can read his work, gallerysports.com, podcasts and more available for you there with Mattress Mac and at McClain underscore on underscore NFL is where you can follow him on social. John, enjoy the championship weekend and can't wait to catch up with you next week. By the way, on Tuesday night, I introduced Bruce Matthews' seven kids to present him into the Houston Sports Hall of Fame. It was an incredible night. They made speeches for Bruce. He got teary-eyed. I tweeted everything. I wrote a column about it that's on uh, gallerysports.com right now. If any of those Titans fans want to know what's going on with Bruce and what a big night he just had. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you again next Friday. Because Tuesday, I'm going to be in Palm Beach covering Reggie Jackson's charity golf tournament with 44 baseball and football Hall of Famers. I'll be there nice. at gallerysports.com. Thank you. John yes. McClain Thank is you, everywhere. John. Thanks, John. John McClain with us uh, weekly here on the show. Uh, absolutely uh, fantastic to have him on. Uh, Chad, you went to purchase softball equipment, and I'm curious if you had to take out a second mortgage based on – um, the reaction to the price tag of some of this compared to when we were playing, which was a long time ago. I'll, we'll get Chad's reaction and how much he spent on equipment for this upcoming season. I'll be stocking shelves here at Six and Peabody <laughs> for the foreseeable future as I moonlight here. This is Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Sixth and Peabody, Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine is where you can find us the next time you're in Music City. Glad you're with us for Outkick 360. Chad, NFL Moneyline upsets this week for me. I could lean Cincinnati as well because at the time, they were the favorite, not the underdog. As I look at outkick.com slash bet, 
the Bengals are the underdog currently, only by a point. I would take the Bengals. But what I am doing is I am sticking with the San Francisco 49ers on the road against Philadelphia. Straight money line as San Fran goes on the road this weekend to pull the upset. Philly's outstanding on offense, defense, special teams. The Niners' defense, though, they've lived up to expectations in the postseason. They've allowed just 35 total points in two games. Give me the 49ers' defense, running the football and defense. That's what we hear. I think they go on the road and win, and they head to the Super Bowl in Glendale. Surprise you're not leaning Cincinnati more than San Francisco, but interesting that you really could pick either underdog and feel good about it. Well, I, when in I this sent game, this in, to win outright. when I sent this in, the Bengals were the favorite. Yeah. So there, I could not pick them for this purpose. But it has I, fluctuated that line throughout the week because of uncertainty around Mahomes and then video, not his status. He's going to play, but just yeah. how effective he's. going to I think be. just the fact he practiced on a Wednesday leading yeah. up to a Sunday matchup gives the uh, the betters and, and Vegas setting resetting the line where it opened, which was Kansas City minus one. Chad. Um, how upset, speaking of upsets, how upset were you with the price tag on some of the uh, softball equipment that you purchased yesterday? Yeah, so getting ready for a, a new softball season, I think parents out there of, of kids who play baseball or softball will, will understand where I'm going here. And, and if you bought expensive equipment playing baseball growing up, um, I know we talked yesterday, you remember at least one maybe expensive bat that you got. I think I got one that I remember. And it was well, an Easton bat that was somewhat expensive that I remember my parents complaining about how much it cost. When I was probably 12 years old. I, I mean, I, my, my dad bought me baseball bats, but they were not very expensive at all. In fact, most of the time in baseball season, I would just use the bats that other kids brought to the park. You know, like there always be a jumbled mess of bats against the fence. Just yeah, go grab just, the one I want. Just right? grab someone else's bat. Uh, but De Marini was the prize possession of bats. So I'm, that's a perfect up. lead in because uh, I sent another one of the, the dads who's a, who coaches with me in softball. Now we're playing seven, eight year old softball, uh, six, seven, eight, somewhere around there is the age range. So I didn't want to go all out for a bat. Now, uh, this dad's daughter is very, very good. And she has a very, very good bat, is what I found out. He took a little video of the bat that they have because I wanted to know what bat she uses. It's a De Marini. There is another brand that is another Italian name that is in line with De Marini. This De Marini bat is like $149. Okay. Okay, for like little kid fast pitch softball. The other Italian sounding name bat was, <laughs> um, it's not De Marini, it's something else I'm blanking on now, was like $129. I didn't go that route, okay, because my thought process is my daughter likes to just like pound the plate. Yep. With the bat, wherever she is. She could not be thinking and be on pavement and do that before she swings. So this bat is not going to be taken great care of. And she's seven, right? So I'm thinking, let's go down. I don't want to get the cheapest bat possible. She's going to upgrade soon on another bat. So this surprised me. The cheapest bat I could get was a Louisville Slugger, fast-pitch softball bat that was this size. I got a bat that was 29 inches in length, 18 ounces for softball. And we're going to show you to the audience watching right now. Hutton, it is an Easton Ghost bat. Okay. Okay. This is like Price is Right. Yes. $54.99. I felt like I got away I from this. Guess, I was going to guess about pretty, 60 bucks. Pretty good shape, right? Now, we've That's got good. the huge water jug that my daughter takes to every practice and game in this photo that you're seeing also. The sweet glove as well. The sweet Rawlings glove yep. that we purchased. She, she picked out the color. She liked the white glove I with like the it. black webbing 
and sort of the turquoise band on it. That was thirty four ninety nine. Okay. So honestly, that was more expensive than I thought. You know, that was closer to the bat than I thought it was going to be to get a nice glove. And the last item was the bat bag that was there. That was also around thirty five dollars. Okay, that's less than what I was expecting. We ordered cleats from Amazon that are Under Armour cleats, black Under Armour cleats that were thirty dollars. So all told, we're out what one sixty one seventy. I didn't do the complete math. You got everything for the price of the bat that the... Oh, not, not bad, but, but I'm looking at everything at Academy Sports where we were shopping last night, and I started going up in age with bigger equipment and everything, and I'm thinking, this is a full $700 experience. If you're going to get new equipment for every season when you're in your yeah. teens playing baseball or softball, I mean, if you go helmet and everything else, um, a, a pack of eight softballs, like 11-inch softballs that she plays with in her league was 30-something dollars. For those softballs. So you could really you could really spend a lot more than what I did. I feel like I got away from it okay. But you could spend a lot more on your kids' softball, baseball equipment. Where you're benefiting, though, is we don't live in the land of East Bay anymore. Oh, man. Where she could flip through the magazine and crave things. How great was that? I loved it. I that lo- magazine I was – I look forward to getting it every time. The hats they had <laughs> yes. in there and everything. Oh, jerseys, all of it. Yeah. Now, well, now East Bay is just you know Instagram. People well, selling yeah. things on Instagram, but yeah, it's it's di- a different world. That East Bay, that magazine had a real way of hooking you on something yeah. that was way too expensive that you really didn't need that expensive of a product, but you wanted it anyway. A lot of daydreaming. Yeah. Um, and then there was always that one kid who was able to order whatever he wanted to out of the magazine. In our house, we kill our kids' dreams early, so <laughs> we just set expectations right in the middle or low then they don't get as disappointed. So we just gave her a choice between the $50 bats and not the $150 bats. I think you made out well. This is a, a great job good by about you. the bat, too. I and watched her happy, swing. We is... went to the golf area of the sports department, the store, and she was swinging there, so it was perfect. Coming up, we have our top 10 NFL quarterbacks. We're calling it the definitive list via Outkick 360. We will also chat about who the NFL and Fox, who they want to match up for the Super Bowl based on ratings. All of that more in hour number two on Outkick 360.